How many of you have your Bible? Would you lift your Bible up? Somebody picks up the phone, hold their phone. I got my Bible on my phone. For the last couple of weeks or so, there's just been a lot working in my heart coming into this particular Sunday, realizing that we were going to be recognizing several graduates, um, and a number of them, as Scott pointed out, have grown up right here at Alamo City. You know, they went from the just kind of brought in to the nursery and made it through preschool and kids crossing and the youth ministry and now they they stand as young adults ready to embark in a sense on another phase of their lives a very important and wonderful time in their lives i i just have some things i want to say you know i may i kind of get choked up when all of a sudden I'm, I realize that I'm kind of sort of in the dad role. I've got not the boss hat, not the preacher hat. I want to get that out of the way. I, I just want to, I want to talk to you and mainly our graduates, but let's just consider we're, we've all graduated from something and we're all graduates in this room this morning, all right? Some things from the Word of God. I, I, I feel that, that we need to send you forth with some very specific words of scripture, verses in the Bible, places in the Bible that you can go to and look back at and spend some time with maybe in the days to come. How to choose wisely is just the category, the topic. You're gonna have a thousand million different choices that will come before you. How do you make wise choices. Your life will probably never be altered as much by a few big choices as it will by the collective impact of the small, the regular, and the right ones. Let me read that again. Your life will probably never be altered as much by a few big choices as it will by the collective impact of the small, the regular, and the right choices. Being faithful in the little things brings the opportunity to be faithful in much. Jesus made that very clear. So I'd like to spend some time this morning, and I would encourage you to some way or another figure out a way to jot down these scripture references so you'll have them. Um, the Word of God is timeless. Um, the, 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 the Word of God is, is an anchor upon which we can stand. There, you know, there, have been, there have been skeptics for centuries, but those skeptics of past centuries are all dead. And the Bible, the Word of God, continues to change people's lives today. So we're not going to spend any time debating the legitimacy or the validity of these 66 books. We're just going to assume that time has proven that it is reliable and there is wonderful encouragement and wonderful power contained in its pages. And it gives us instruction as to how to choose well. I want to list for you a few things, a few ways that impact our choosing, aspects that impact our choosing. The first one is this, how to choose well, number one, choose Jesus, choose Jesus, choose Jesus. Choose him as your savior, as your deliverer as your rescuer, as your friend. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this. John chapter 1 verse 12. Note this one. Write it down. But to as many as received him, Jesus, but to as many as took as their own, Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued, 
shall be saved. Romans chapter 10. Choose him as your savior. Now folks, graduates, the Alamo City Church can't save anybody. The Virgin Mary did not shed her blood on the cross to save anybody. There are worthy examples of how to live a life, how to make choices. But when it comes down to the only way for the sins that we accumulate in our lives, the choices that we make that are wrong in the sight of God and that are costly in time, the impact can be costly with us. The only way to get the sins forgiven is by putting our trust in only, only Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus as your Savior, but we need to know that this is in the Scripture too. Choose Jesus as your door opener. Choose Jesus as your door opener. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Revelation 3, 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, Jesus is dictating this letter to this church to be read before this church in Philadelphia. He's raised from the dead, exalted with all the power he had with the Father before Bethlehem ever came along. He's restored now to his full authority. And he introduces himself in this way in verse 7. He who is holy, speaking of himself, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Now watch these words. Because you have a little power, you don't have the ability to open doors by yourself. And you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Choose Jesus to be the one who opens doors for you. Scholars seem to be in somewhat of an agreement that this phrase, which is an unusual phrase, the key of David, and Jesus is saying, I hold the key of David. There seems to be a consensus that the meaning of that word is the control that Jesus has, the ability that he has to open doors of earthly opportunity, not just spiritual things but literal, physical doors of opportunity. I hold the key of David, and I have set before you an open door. When he closes the door, nobody can open it. <laughs> but when he opens the door for his child, when he opens the door for you, all the demons in hell and the devil himself can't shut that door. Now, you need to know that. Hang on to that. But... Who, who has benefited by Jesus holding the key of David? He says, I know your deeds. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. I know every class you're taking. I know the professors. I know the job opportunities. I know the potentials. I know all of those. I know your deeds, the things that you have given yourself to. I know your deeds but also know that you're weak. But here's what else is true about you. You've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. You see, it doesn't matter who else is denying his name. As long as there's one somebody in a class, there's one somebody in a degree program, there's one somebody in a company that hasn't denied his name. 
And the one who holds the key of David has the ability to go past every kind of visible and measurable earthly authority and do what he chooses to do when he chooses to do it. Come hell or high water, regardless of what the board of trustees think. Hang on to that. I hold the key of David. I open and nobody can shut. I shut for the protection of my own. I shut and nobody can open. Choose Jesus to be your Savior, but choose Jesus to be your door opener. Lastly, under that matter of choosing Jesus, choose Jesus to be your source of power. I mean, let me, let me elaborate on that a little bit. Choose Jesus to be your source of power. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At another point or before that ever happened, he was being asked, Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we need to look for? Are you the promised one? And his answer was, the one who's coming, I'm not even unworthy to untie his shoe. I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who when he comes will baptize you with his spirit and with fire. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus on the resurrection side of the cross speaks back to the ones who were gathered there who had seen him suffer and die who had seen him on the cross and he said to him but said to them but you will receive power after that the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth the apostle paul a few decades later writing from a prison cell records in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through the one who's giving me strength. Now, graduates, here's what I just want to dare you to do. I want to dare you to ask God himself to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You say, well, I've been going to Alamo City, and, and I've, I was baptized, and, 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 and I know I'm a Christian. I understand that, and hallelujah, and that's wonderful and great. But so were all of those people in Jerusalem who saw Jesus die, who knew that he was dying on the cross for their sins. And in a very real sense, according to 1 Corinthians 15, they... They, they were born again. The Spirit of God showed them those things, truth about Jesus. They received him as that he's alive, standing there before them, that he was buried. He was crucified, buried, raised again according to the Scriptures. There he stands. But then to that group, Jesus says, but you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's a coming upon the church, the coming upon the Christian for the manifestation of a degree of power that they didn't have before. They were average in intelligence. They were average, if not below average, in abilities, personality, and appearance. Average and below average. When they were filled with the Spirit, they rose to unexplainable heights and shook the world then and to this day. I'm telling you, your shoe size may not change, your eye color won't change, the reach of your wingspan won't change, but something dramatic and awesome changes. From, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, it happens to you as Jesus said, as John said about Jesus. He will baptize you. He will drench you. 
Just like I drench you, John said, on the outside, your clothes get sopping wet, your body gets sopping wet, you'll know the Messiah has come. You'll know he is the Messiah, and you'll know you know him because he will have the ability to drench you on the inside from the top of your head to the soles of your feet with his spirit and with fire. I want to dare you to pray that prayer. God, fill me with your spirit. They don't tell him, well, you can do this, but you can't do that. God, fill me with your spirit, but behave yourself. Don't embarrass me. Don't waste your prayer. But Lord, fill me. Who, who you really are, who you can be in the hand of God, is who you'll be when the Lord fills you and sets your heart away. And it, and it isn't just about teaching Sunday school classes. It's not just about going on mission trips and being able to witness for for. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. First chapter of Daniel says that God gave them ability to understand all types of different knowledge. They stepped into a culture with the linguistic challenges, the historical challenges. They didn't know anything about it, but they rose to prominence because the Spirit of God favored them and gave them the ability to learn and absorb and interpret out in a culture that they were absolute strangers to. God knows how to make a man or a woman great. He knows what it takes to create someone who has the ability to impact, who has the ability to ignite. And he will often do that with those who are very much on their own, very ordinary, very average, if not below the average baseline and it's all for his glory and his power so so you you know you you be the engineer you be the kinesiologist you be the therapist you be the whatever it is it's working in your heart to be god wired you for his glory he wired you for his delight but as you pursue those things Understand, you're not pursuing that on your own. You're not pursuing and having to tell the Lord, now, Lord, here I am to help me with this. Please, let me inform you how challenging this particular class is or this particular lab is. I know your deeds. And I know that you're weak. You have little power. But you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Therefore, I have set before you an open door which no man can close. Trust him to be your door opener. Trust him to be your source of power. Trust him to be your source of power. Choose Jesus. Second thing, choose your harvest. Choose your harvest. What's that talking about? What does that mean? Galatians chapter 6. You find Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. I'm going to keep repeating these addresses of these verses because I'm certain that you will forget most of what I have to say. But the Word of God has promised that it will not return void without accomplishing the purpose of which it is sent. You, you, you get these verses down you know where to find them in your Bible. And it may be 15 years from now or 20 years from now or five months from now, but the Word of God has a power to encourage and to give direction that you won't find anywhere else. Choose your harvest in choosing well. Verse 7, Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, or woman or person sows, this, what he sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, his own selfishness, shall from the flesh reap corruption, decay, ruin, and death. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life, real living, a real life, shall reap a real life. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That clearly says you can choose your harvest. You can choose your harvest on the basis of what you choose to plant, what you choose to sow. So if you want a harvest of respect, then you give respect. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Respecting not just those in authority in a natural, physical sense of that too, but respecting people because they're created in the image of God. Now, that image may be distorted. That image may be diminished to some degree, but they also have the ability to be sinners saved by grace just like you and just like me. If I want respect, here is the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. You get back what you plant. So if I want respect, then I need to respect. If I want compassion, then I need to show mercy. If I want kindness instead of pouting, you know, like we can sometimes, well, nobody just, nobody in that church was ever kind to me or nobody in that place. They weren't kind. They weren't. Instead of, instead of waiting to get a harvest, understand how the law of the harvest works. You plant something and then you get a harvest. No such thing as a harvest without planting a seed, without sticking a seed in the ground. So if I need kindness, I, I sow some kindness. If I need respect, I sow some respect. If I need acceptance, if I want to be accepted, if I need acceptance, then I sow acceptance. If I need mercy, if I want kindness, then I sow it. I don't wait for it first to come to me. Does that? I, I don't wait for the harvest before the planting. I plant, that's the order. I plant, and then the harvest comes in. But, but, you know, everybody who's ever stuck a seed in the ground understands it may not come up the next day. Thank you very much. I mean, it may not, it may be a little while. But what happens when it does finally come in? It comes back with an exponential result. You, you get back way more than what you stuck in the ground. Whenever the harvest comes in, choose your harvest. Choose your harvest. You hear that? Choose Jesus. Choose your harvest. Third one, choose not to quit. Amen. Choose not to quit. Verse 9, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good, in sowing good. For in due time we shall reap, and look at this clause, conditional clause, if we do not grow weary. There's... There's a harvest coming in, but I need to wait for that harvest to come in, and I don't need to quit. I don't need to give up. I heard a, heard a rancher say one day, looking in the eyes of a couple of guys and a couple of young men, high school, on their way to college, and they were whining about something in sports or something, some requirement of school. So he overheard them. Like an old South Texas rancher would do, he just kind of decided he needed to enter that conversation. Burly hands, old cat, he'll take his hat off, you know, and you can see the tan line. He said, don't ever start. He said, don't ever, don't ever quit. It's a bad habit to break. So he said, then he's kind of walked off. Don't ever quit. No matter what it is, no matter how great the challenge, if you are in that place because you believe the Lord put you in that place, and you're in that place, and you're trying to, trying to be busy sowing the right seeds, don't give up. Don't quit. You know, all the people who have ever lived who had these great ideas, 
I want to I'm going to climb Everest in my socks, you know. I'm, I'm going to, you know, and then on, 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 the I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, talk big, blowing smoke. And at the first sign of a challenge, at the first sign of a cold gust of wind, at the first sign of oppositions, well, you know, maybe I didn't much want to do that anyway. It's what will happen. The Spirit of God fills you up. The Jesus alive in you, in power, who went the distance, who didn't stop, who went to the point of death, believing that if he finished his mission, if he accomplished the assignment that his father had given, that his father would raise him up on the third day. And so the good news is there's a spirit of this Jesus on the inside that doesn't know how to quit. Not even in his vocabulary. The course may change a little bit along the way, a little twist, a little turn here and there. But you choose. You choose not to quit. And you know what will happen? There will be some folks that, that you know, may be so far ahead of you in, in natural things they're, they're first ones picked. They're the, they're the tallest. They're the smartest. They're the biggest. They're the fastest. Whatever it would be. But trouble comes along. And they start dropping like flies. And somehow by default, <laughs> just because you hadn't quit, you end up starting at offensive tackle. You know, Starting at point guard move that into the business acumen, the, the business area, it works the same way. Some folks just quit. They just give up. But the Jesus on the inside has the way to strengthen our heart to not quit. Number four, choose well by choosing to respect authority. Someone said that a sophomore is the most dangerous human on the face of the earth. They, 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 know, they know just enough to think they know everything. <laughs> and then the real world hits. Can't be told anything. Choose to respect authority. I want to give you another verse. This is in 1 Peter Chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Everybody got that? 1 Peter 5, 5 and following. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Why is it important that I respect authority? This is a no-brainer. Are you ready for a no-brainer? It is because authority has the power to elevate you, to ignore you, or to suppress you. The scripture here says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The hand of God being those levels of authority represented in human expression, teachers, coaches, bosses. Okay, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he may exalt you. When? At the proper time. 
it, it's not that we stay humbled so that we learn to live, learn to eke out a groveling existence. It's that we learn instead that I come in under. I take instructions. I receive correction. I receive confirmation. But I'm under authority, and I'm coming under that authority because it's as if it is God's authority in my life. I, I, I can just tell you that, you know, and I, I forgot, I counted up how many years I was in formal education. I kind of lost track. I'm a, you, 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 from, from kindergarten to a, to, a, to a doctorate, not one you buy, but one you have to earn somewhere. And, and I can't tell you how many classes I had that I wonder, what in the world am I in here for? What, what good is this? I, I'm, I'll never think about this again once I, I get that syllabus filed. I may not even file this one. I just chunk this one, burn it, because it seemed to be irrelevant. And I would whine at the Lord like that, but then it would be brought back to this verse. You, David, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is, this is my hand. You followed me to this pursuit of profession. You followed me to this education institution. You followed me, and I put these men and these teachers and professors and so forth over you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that I can exalt you at the proper time. But I need somebody who won't be trying to take over the world as a sophomore. I need somebody who can receive instruction. I need someone whom authority can trust to give their authority to. And that's just the way it works. You know, we come into, come into places and situations and say, well, I'm here, I got my degree, and I've got my learning, and I'm taught by these people, and I've got my five beta, whatever, and I'm going to just straighten this place out. Now that I'm here. You know, we've we got major HEB people that are part of Alamo City. I can name other corporations, major, major, major hirers. And the one characteristic in their minds that separates the herd, it doesn't matter GPA. It doesn't matter SAT score. It doesn't matter former awards. What matters most is can you come into our organization, come under authority? Can you support, instead of having to be the, the prima donna, can you be a part of the team? Can you be taught? And if they, get, if they find their way, and they have different ways of doing it, of being convinced that you, I'm, I'm telling you, someone, some young one, coming into that city who may not have the GPA, may not have the SAT score, may not have the personality inventory down like some others have, but just simply because they will, are willing to come in and apply themselves under this authority, they get picked and the others are moving on down the road. You, you say, I don't believe that. I don't care. I know it's true. I talk to them. I talk to the ones who hire. And they will say this matter of respect for authority makes the difference. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. He's got a time. He's got a place. He's got a position. He's got an address. He's got a sign on a desk that is for you at the proper time. He, take, he takes you there. Choose to respect authority. Consistent with that would be number five, choose to honor God's word. Choose to honor God's word. Why? Why should I choose to honor God's word? It's because it frees him up to bless you. To honor God's word frees him up. To bless your socks off. You see, that's stretching a little bit, but preach. Well, let's just see. Since you challenged that thought, 
Find Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall be, verse 1, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your flesh, of your body, and the produce of your ground. And the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command his blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And you continue right on reading there. My point simply being that it pays to honor the Lord's word because it frees him up to bless you. His heart is not to hurt. His heart is to help. His heart is not to suppress. His heart is to exalt. And our obedience encourages and opens the door, keeps the heavens open for him to bless in the way that is in his heart. I'm going to say this to you guys and ladies who are just starting out. I want you to find the book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. You're looking at an income right now that may have one figure. (laughs) You're dreaming of a two-figure income. Then you wake up in the middle of the night and you think maybe there could be a possible three-figure or four-figure income for me. But what if, what if in the heart of God there's something like a five, six, or seven-figure income? You curse with a curse. Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? And the Lord answers in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says, bring the whole tithe, the full 10%, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Out from the storehouse, would be the opportunity, or from the store, would be the opportunity to help people who are in need, who don't have all of their provisions met, so that there may be food in my house. And then he says, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. That's all agricultural, economical terminology. The deals that you've worked on so hard to make with your crops about to come in, and then all of a sudden, for no reason at all, the vines just start spitting the grapes, and you lose an entire crop. Or the devourer comes in, and the devourer just chews away and eats up what you do have, what you have harvested. That doesn't go as far. That doesn't last. And then the deals, the the harvest you were hoping... It, it, just, it just goes away overnight. He says there's a reason for that. And the reason is you're cursed with a curse. 
deals don't make and what you have doesn't go far enough. And the reason is you're robbing me. The Lord says that, you're robbing me. I, I want to say to every graduate here, there is one, as far as I'm concerned, single most important financial choice, financial investment, if you will, that if you will do this, if you will follow this and give it some time, you will be able to look back on your life and have a distinct sense, God at the center of my financial world took care of me. He, he, he not only brought in other things that I hadn't had before, but the things that should have worn out, the things that shouldn't have lasted, some way or another, it's still running, it's still working. It's still... My parents teaching their son this principle would count out 10 pennies when I was a little guy. And they would pull out one of them and they would say to David, that one belongs to the Lord. So you give that to the Lord, you do that on Sunday. Well, it moved from, from 10 pennies to 10 dimes and it was one dime and then, then a, you know, $10. I don't know that I ever got an allowance worth $10. I had to go somewhere and work. But by then it had, it had been instilled in me and it wasn't even something that was a hard deal. It's just the way it is. It, it, it's just the way God wants it to be. And the time came and shortly enough that that became such a blessing that, that there, was a, there was another whole percentage point beyond 10% that we just wanted to give because of the joy in it and realizing people would be helped and that God was at the center of our financial world. He is not at the center of your financial world if you're robbing from him. Did the pastor, we just need to take his opinion. No, no, you don't. But look at what the word says. And look at your bank account. Look at your finances. And the Lord says, I don't want you to stay there. Not, not that everybody's going to be living in a multi-million dollar house and driving six different vehicles and have a boat for every day of the week. No. But he says, Here's, you, you test me in this. You see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great to be contained. And beyond that, I'll dry up the devourer so that what you have will last longer. And I'll stop the grapes from being thrown from the vine. I'll cause the deals that have been busted, I'll cause them to start working. I'll cause what you have to last longer. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great to be. You start that as a freshman in college, if you hadn't started already. And you got a, you got a one-digit income right now, one digit on a good week. Test me now, he says. Whatever is income, verse 10%, belongs to the Lord. Only place in the Bible that I know the Lord gives us permission to test him. Do it. Step back. And watch. Either God's true or he's a liar. I have been almost overwhelmed without asking for it. By the testimonies, the reports have come, people just talking to me about how true this is, how real this is, how liberating it's become. I told a guy yesterday in Houston, a wonderful businessman, he said, I, I, there's, some, there's some problems that we have, but I don't worry at all about my finances because I know the Lord's going to take care of me. How do you know that? Because I'm doing what he said do. The first 10% and then some as he leads. You choose to honor God's word. Why? <laughs> because he's mad at you? 
That's not the big reason. It's because he wants to bless you. You can live in the place of blessing, whether it's one digit, two digits, seven digits, ten digits. But it's already set. That first 10% belongs to him. It's his. And he gives me the privilege, us the privilege, of living off the other 90. It could have been the other way around. Choose to honor God's word. Let me quickly give you just two or three more. Number six, when you mess up, and we all do, when we choose something that doesn't please him, choose to repent and not run. Choose to repent. That, that means turn around. Uh, that wonderful verse, Acts 3.19, repent and return, that your sins may be washed away and the seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Isaiah 55, the Lord will talk about how my ways are not like your ways. They're far above your ways. And in what category are they different in the specific context is in his ability to forgive. Let the wicked man forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord for he will abundantly pardon. The Lord doesn't delight to see us squirm. He doesn't like to see us deprived. He delights to see us blessed. And he delights to see us run back to him when we've strayed away. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. You know, been, that verse has been claimed so many billions of times in the history of the church that if it would be possible for it to be worn out, I guess it would have already been worn out before it got to this generation, but you can't wear it out. If we confess our sins, if we say with God what God says about our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have to hit that verse 40 times before noon, you can't wear it out. 500 times in two days, you can't wear it out. The fact that you keep going back there, the fact that you keep remembering that, the fact that you keep wanting it to be, wanting to be free of that and to be clean is proof that he's alive in you. If he wasn't alive in you, you wouldn't give a flip. It's the spirit who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Choose to repent and not run. Number seven. Choose kindness. We're choosing mercy or we're choosing wisdom. We're going to choose wisely. Choose kindness, mercy, unselfishness, generosity. This is Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon, reputed to be the wisest man on the face of the earth in all of human history apart from Jesus. Here's what he says in Proverbs 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and have a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Martin Luther King's bellwether verse is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you, O man? But to do what's right, to do justly, and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. To love mercy. To love mercy means that for some of the males in our group, we've got to jettison the idea that a real man is always going to be hard-fisted and in your face and telling you everything you didn't want to know about yourself. What does the Lord require of you, O oh man? 
to do what's right and to love mercy, to love kindness. Not just seeing it out there somewhere, but participating in it. Choose kindness. Number eight, choose honesty. Choose honesty. First John 1 7 says, God is light. Or preference prior to George 1 7. God is light, him is no darkness at all. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever been mad at God? And I'm, just, I'm not asking for your church answer. <laughs> I'm asking for the real answer. Been mad at him, disappointed at him, questioned him. You know what's amazing is that when Jesus came to live out, flesh out the invisible God, In the Sermon on the Mount in that section called the Beatitudes, about the second one listed, Jesus said this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some people, when they mourn, want to get off by themselves. Some folks, when they mourn, just cry and squall and wail. Some folks, when they mourn, they're just mad, fighting mad, throwing mad, spitting mad. Jesus said, there was a blessing that is to be found in mourning, grieving, the way that you, you, you uniquely mourn and grieve. And the blessing is that there is a level of comfort. There is a measure of comforting right at the place of the honesty of that mourning that God has the ability to give that can transform the mourning into a place of peace and a place of rest. You, you read the great ones in Scripture, the ones who have books named after them. And there were times when they would just, they would just pour out as one pour out their complaint before the Lord. God, what, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why do the wicked seem to always be triumphing? On and on and on. They understood that they were saying, in effect, all my problems, God, are coming from you, bottom line. Because if you're all loving and all powerful, you could have stopped this before it hit me, and you didn't. Instead of them being struck down by lightning, instead of their lips being healed shut, instead of their writing hand being withered up, they're still in the scripture. And they would say, it is true. The mourning, the grieving, the sorrowing, even if it, is, even if it comes out in the form of anger or confusion, whatever it is, there's a blessing in mourning because he didn't leave me. He didn't punish me for mourning. He didn't remove me from the place of being used by him because my heart was sad and I was honest about it. He comforted me. He comforted me. He comforted me. Choose honesty. 
God can handle it. Only the devil would want us to believe that if we tell the Lord the truth, that he'd be mad at us forever. What doesn't he know already? What can we not disclose to him? He knows it already. But somehow when it comes from our hearts, faith the size of a mustard seed, that may be about all it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm launching my complaint in faith to this one I believe really is up there, and I'm ticked, Lord, and I'm mad about it, but somehow I believe you're there. And even at the place of thinking, I'm not even sure, God, that you are there anymore. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Choose honesty. Number nine, choose character. Choose character. Choose character. Choose character. That's in people. That's in friends. That's in somebody who may be become your spouse or somebody who might be a business partner. Proverbs 27, 17, make note of this. As iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another person. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua speaking. You choose this day who you will serve. If it's the God of our fathers or it's some other pagan false god, you choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Yes. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. That's the Bible. Do not be deceived. Don't, don't joke. Don't kid yourself by thinking, I can be hanging around. I can live my life with morally destitute people, and it won't affect me. That's not saying because Jesus had relationships. With, he had friendships with the tax gatherers and the sinners have been around here very long. You know that that was at the top of the food chain of the morally despicable. But they would come see him. He would go see them, spend time with them. But he did not live with them. He was not approving of all. He cared about them, but he wasn't approving and giving in to them. Bad company corrupts good character. And I... I don't want anybody throwing a purse or a boot at me when I say Just because somebody tells you, young lady, that he's a Christian, and therefore he wants to just get real close to you. He just thinks there could be something here. The same way with marriage prospects and political prospects. Some folks just try to use the name Jesus to get elected. Some folks can throw out the name Jesus and pitch in little John 3.16 and hum through amazing grace in order to get you in bed. Character. Character. I'll have a couple some in come in sometime talk to me about getting married and and I always ask the question. Tell me when you came to know Jesus, not when you started going to church, not when you were baptized, not when you got your first Bible, you know, not when you went on a mission trip. When did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? And I'll wait for an answer. But even after they give the answer, this date, this time, this city, this camp. My next question often will be is, so how long you two have been dating? 
Well, sometimes when I get through with them, I've had them literally look back at me and say, Pastor, I just, we just don't think we're ready to get married right now. To which I would say, I agree with you. I think you're right. Call me when you think you're ready. They hadn't had enough time to test character. It's not about being able to give a baptism date and quote John 3.16 and have been a Baptist since you were born or whatever, Alamo City since you were born. It's the likeness of Jesus in a heart. Not, not that the person's perfect, but there's a sense of honesty and there's a sense of transparency. And you've known them long enough to realize when they've had, some, had the choice, had the opportunity to choose to go down the river, they didn't go down the river. Oh, and how crazy. Well, you know, I'm just going to help him. I'm just going to, I'm just going to help him. Listen, sister, <laughs> if the Lord hadn't yet helped him to quit that stuff, you're not going to be able to do much good yourself. I'm, it's going to be a rescue marriage. Well, we'll see you and your two kids by yourself, sad to say, in a couple of years. I know I'm, I know that's tough talking, but I'm, I'm talking, trying, I'm talking like a dad. I'm just talking like a dad. Love you, care about you. This is the truth. You choose character. How long is that going to take? I don't have a clue. But give us some time. I just try to make sure that those that you have, it's not marriage, but they're just in a working relationship and in friendships that you got some ones, if they sharpened you, they'd be sharpening you in the right way and not dulling your edge, you know. Something about them that you admire, something characteristics that you appreciate. Iron sharpens iron. And I've watched them. I've watched them say, choose you this day who you'll serve. As far as me and my, as far as I'm concerned, you guys just go do what you're going to do. Don't need it. See you later. I'm going to go on with a good life. Choose character. Choose character. Last one. And all the Lord's people said amen and amen. You finally got it. Number 10, number 10, number 10. Choose wise counsel. Choose wise counsel. I want you to notice what is repeated three times in these three verses. And this isn't the exhaustive list out of Proverbs. This is 11:14. In abundance of counselors, there's victory. 1522. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, there's victory. 24-6. For by wise guidance you will wage war. And in abundance of counselors, there's victory. So who, who are your counselors? Who are the ones that you listen to? Who are the ones when there's some situation that you're trying to sort out that you'll go and just bounce it off of them and see what comes back at you? Who are those who have the ability to go to any category, any season, any date, any event in your life and camp out there a little bit and ask you questions about that? How are you doing? Well, you see, folks, if there are some places in our lives, in our, our personal history, that has no admittance written across the front, guard dog in place, cross that threshold, enter that door at your own risk, then we're in a very, 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 sad place. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. His heart is to set captives free. 
He will bring folks into our lives that he gives the ability to just some folk just to, just, to, just to know us, to, to, to feel like they could ask a question to us and, and it's on target, but we just gum up, we stomp off and we don't want to have whatever. Then just know there's way more work. God's just, that, that, it's not, they are not the problem. It's the place inside you where Jesus is saying, I want to set you free. 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 There's a victory in counselors, in a multitude of counselors. Now, again, if they're character people, here, here's, here's the way, here's the test. If they love you and they love God, if they love you and they love God, then it may be, and it may be probably a tight group, not very many, but you can open your heart, and, and, and they can speak to you. So you're, you're talking about you're, you're dating somebody. You're, you're thinking about this career choice. Or what about, what about that particular opportunity out there? And, and, you, and you can go and you, you throw it out there. That's one of the ways God works. That's one of the ways he teaches us. It's one of the ways he informs us of what his will is. When you get this counselor saying this and this counselor right here kind of lines up with that one, and this one over here kind of lines up with that one. You've got this three-stranded cord, and well, Lord, maybe there is something I need to hear. Okay, let me give them to you one more time. Again, this is not exhaustive. How to choose? Well, choose Jesus. Choose your harvest. Choose not to quit. Choose to respect authority. Choose to honor God's word. Choose to repent and not run. Choose kindness, choose honesty, choose character, choose wise counsel. Now, Lord, we trust you to take your word and put it where it needs to go and to plant it permanently in our spirits so that when the time is right, when it is necessary that we remember what it is that you have said to us, it's already implanted in our spirits and you can bring it back. Lord, encourage these young ones. Fill them up with your spirit, Lord. Let them know to, their, to the depth of who they are that they are loved, chosen, picked out, wanted, desired by you, designed by you for your delight and your pleasure. And, oh, Lord, may they live the days of their lives with the favor of God upon them as our prayer. And the nearness of Jesus, the closeness of the sense of Jesus to their heart every day and throughout the hours of those days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.